Hello and welcome to a new episode of this podcast. It's been a while since I last spoke to Cecile. In the first episode, we talked about her diagnosis of endometriosis. We then talked about living with the condition. In this episode, we're going to talk about the solutions that Cecile has put in place to cope with endometriosis. Now, I'm very vocal about endometriosis, so now it's a very easy story to tell. So I go and if I met you today, I'd say, hey, how's it? What do you do? Oh, I do I'm in advertising and then also I'm an advocate for endometriosis. Oh, what is this? Funny name, blah, blah. This is where I suffer from. End the story. Super easy conversation to have. And then if I see that the person is like not asking questions and kind of like, oh, great. What would you like to drink? I'm kind of like, Ear. red signs. That was a terrible noise. You must remove that editing. <laughs> and then if they ask questions and you can engage, like they all show, you know, qualities of being sympathetic and understanding and stuff like that. When I was younger, I, I had a boyfriend in my 20s, early 20s. And um, I don't think we ever talked about my symptoms. I don't, I think he knew perhaps that I had painful periods. I should ask him really, but I don't think I ever told him about my symptoms. But I was on the pill, so my life was better anyway. And sex wasn't that painful, but when it was, it was a very difficult conversation to have. And I remember one instance where it was kind of like not understanding what I was going through, thinking that I was being reluctant and not, you know, and it was, it was hard to being able to explain. And then I, I think relationships is particularly tricky because I think because of the physical intimacy, I think it was very difficult for me for many years because I hated my body so much. I had scars, I had like infections all the time I had you know it was, it's difficult to imagine that you're going to be intimate and and I'm not talking about sex I'm even talking about somebody just being close to you you know oh and other symptoms of endometriosis I couldn't get it out earlier but um, you're bloating I'm bloated all the time and you look pregnant which looks ridiculous so you can imagine you start dating someone <laughs> and then the day after you show up like looking pregnant and they're like um and I know I can laugh about it now because it's it's an easy conversation for me to have but you can imagine that it's really embarrassing and it's embarrassing sometimes for men I don't know I mean I think my ex-boyfriend was okay with it but it, I did look pregnant at times yeah I did and also like when you're, you're that in that much pain and it's you that bloated you can't be touched like I can't even put my hand on or rather I walk with my hand on my belly because it's it's just horrific. So so that is a problem in itself, I think. Intimacy, building intimacy and trust and having somebody that's able to be physically next to you, that's a problem. And talking about, you know, not perhaps not being able to have children is a big problem as well. <laughs> it's not so much of a problem now because I'm older, but when I was in my 30s, it's is, is a problem. And it's a problem for a lot of women outside of endometriosis because it's a tricky conversation to have or it's a tricky subject and it's a sensitive subject. But when you have endometriosis, you have the extra pressure. So if you start dating somebody and they want children, you have to tell them. You know, have to tell them that you're probably exposed to fertility issues. And that scares men away. It doesn't take much. <laughs> but that's like extra scary. It's like, hi, probably can't have children. Okay, bye. So it is tricky. I think it would have been much better. I should have signed a contract before getting diagnosed. I went all wrong in my life. That's what I should have done. Like, marry me. Oh, I have endometriosis. 
So not very uh, strategic there, I must say. Big mistake. I think it's easier. I met women. I remember going to this endometriosis conference a couple of years ago, maybe many years ago. And there was this session with couples, which is really beneficial because men, partners could hear other women talk about their condition and how they approached it and what they were doing to help themselves. And I could see the dynamics with couples that have been together for years, you know, before, even before the woman was diagnosed. And it's a much easier, I think, thing to go through than starting dating somebody after you come out of surgery. Hiya. I have like stitches everywhere, but I'm ready. I'm really keen on getting men engaged, not only with the initiatives that I have going with, you know, uh, men who have chronic pain as well, but also like get them involved in the conversation of um, endometriosis and, and how they can convince their ladies to get out there and be active. But also, as I described running earlier, that gives me the power to increase my self-esteem and speak out and speak up about the condition. I think it really, it, it helps with your approach, you know, socially, and it helps with the way you interact with people. And I think it, it probably makes a huge difference. Or actually it does, because I've experienced it myself. It makes a difference when you're in a relationship. You're more confident, you're more open, you're more, you know, you you like your body more because it's, it's, it's toned, it's, it's, you're on the same team. You don't run and then your body doesn't run with you. <laughs> so you, you know, you it's proper teamwork, which is good. But I want you want to get men involved. And I think perhaps... We should have a, a, an episode dedicated to men and how they suffer the condition. I, I think it's horrific to be at the receiving end of endometriosis when you're on the other side of the fence, you know. It's painful when you see somebody who's hurting all the time. And so I'd like to spend a bit more time, maybe another day, on, you know, and also have a quite a funny story to tell about men and endometriosis. Well, that's a good teaser. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> So we talked about running, we talked about mental health and the symptoms. At what point did you realize that running was helping you to manage the symptoms? I'm so slow. It took me years. I know it sounds ridiculous, but because I was doing all these things to support my system and I wasn't doing running in an isolation of these things, I didn't really see the impact of it until 2015. I had signed up for half the Royal Parks half marathon in London and I went all out. I ran about like I think 500 kilometers or something during the running. I just like I couldn't stop. I loved it. Like for about four months I think I was training and I felt next to nothing symptoms wise. I mean I, I, I was probably it was probably the same in terms of digestion and blah blah whatnot but you know you even if you bloated when you run it's fine you can just carry on but during that period I was literally no pelvic pain non zero and then I ran and then I stopped for a couple of weeks and it was straight back to bed literally after two weeks I was stuck in bed for days just couldn't even walk that's how dramatic your life is it's like one minute you go for a run you know 10k run and next you can't walk to the kitchen to fix yourself a cup of tea and you can see that it's a very small distance it's that intense. So you go and you're like so high from the running and you're know, doing a half and it was so much fun. And so when you fall back down, the fall is actually harder because you know what it's like to feel good. And when you feel bad again and when you feel that you're stuck again, it's really hard on um, the psyche. It's really hard to recover from that because you know what a, your life can be. And then it isn't anymore. 
But then there's to answer your question, that's how I realized it was like, that's it. It's running. And that was 2015. So literally four years after I started, but then I had a, a bit of a year off when I was um, living in New York. I wasn't doing a lot of running. Um, I was only doing ballet at the time and it's not cardio work. So it doesn't actually have any effect on hormones or whatnot. That year I felt terrible the entire year. And I only, you know, looking back, you're like, oh, that's why. But again, I'm a bit slow. Maybe I should have realized that before. But now that I know, my life has changed again. So did you feel like you had found the solution? I felt under a lot of pressure because my life during the training was so good, like no pain whatsoever, none. I was like, how am I going to sustain that level of running? I mean, it's not much, but for somebody who has endometriosis, you know, running 35, 40K a week, it's, it's pretty okay. And I was like, I can't sustain that. My, you know, my life is ruined. I was quite worried about... Um, it was great on the one side, but on the other side, I knew that I, could, I couldn't sustain that. Like I couldn't run like that every week uh, for the rest of my life. First of all, my knees, you know, probably going to give up in a couple of years, hopefully not. Um, so that was difficult for me because I was like, I can't, I just, I can't do it. It's too much. Not understanding that it was the middle ground because I don't understand the middle ground. And then second of all, there is no research very little research for endometriosis and anything that's non-medical because you can't imagine the money that's been donated isn't spent exploring stuff that's non-medical there is a bit of research with breast cancer and the level of um, estrogen and how exercise lowers the level of estrogen and you know by proxy because endometriosis is estrogen dominant illness condition you can draw the same conclusions so i read about that after the fact and also recently i think it was february which coincided with the release of the video at the bbc and the article in the sun that pelvic pain was related to estrogen levels without saying anything about exercise there is this argument anyhow that cardio work lowers estrogen levels then that's how I would explain the fact that cardio takes away the pain. It's because it lowers the estrogen levels and the less the estrogen levels, the less the pain. And I went to doctors to ask them about this and it's a complete like, meh, what are you talking about? No, there's no, what? There's no physiological evidence that, you know, running helps endometriosis, which to me is insane because, you know, my exercise regime is a bit, intense compared to other women but there are athletes and runners and swimmers Australian swimmer I can't remember and she lives with endometriosis and and maybe she doesn't realize the impact that exercise has had historically on her condition and maybe her pain is less than other women because of exercise but then nothing's been you know research on nothing's been told so it's a difficult conversation to have perhaps not today but I have actually a physical evidence of the impact of running on assists that I had and doctors went la 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 please go out of my office get out of my office which is very very frustrating for me it's difficult to have a conversation with women with endometriosis and tell them what I've gone through because there is again no evidence medical evidence to illustrate and to demonstrate that what I'm doing is good for the body I actually had some women coming to me and saying you know um running makes it worse for me it makes it worse 
I've never felt worse, but I completely accept that somebody's body will react in different ways. So I'm kind of like, okay, that's fine. Forget about running. I think running is also a little bit like Marmite. Eh? People are kind of like, no way. Like I actually had this woman, uh, very adorable, Instagram, the BBC video, and she goes, oh, I hate running so much. I much prefer being in pain, which I thought was hilarious because it really came from the heart. Like running was a no-no for her. And you have to be realistic with your exercise regime. So you really have to pick something that you like and you enjoy doing because it's not going to work. So I'm not going to convince somebody who hates running that running is good for her because she's never going to enjoy it. I'd rather say, take your bike, go for a swim or do cardio work at the gym, whatever works for you. You know, you have to find what works for you physically, but also what makes you happy because otherwise it's not sustainable. Why I run all the time is because I enjoy it. That's so much for me. So how much do you run now? <laughs> so now in average, and that's what I do in winter because I'm not a, um, a brave runner. I don't go in the snow and whatnot, but I do about um, 15K a week. And that's quite okay because it's like 10, 15K. And do you only run or do you do other activities? Yeah, I do loads. And I've learned to love other things. Training for the marathon last year, I uh, was very, very concerned about potential injuries because you run for weeks, months, you prepare and then, you know, you snap and that's it, it's finished. So I was really trying to maintain overall health and, you know, And it was actually a very interesting period of my life because it's very, you were talking about self-love earlier and again, don't mean to sound cliche, but that's what doing a marathon is about, preparing for a marathon is about. It's about making sure that your body is looked after and it's, it's loved. And so part of that was like, okay, I don't want to get injured. What can I do to stop me from being exposed to injury? So I had done um, reformer Pilates quite a bit already. So I carried on doing this. And then I discovered anti-gravity, which was just amazing. I discovered that last year and I was like, oh my God, this thing is amazing. Literally every week I'm doing Pilates, reformer Pilates. So when I say Pilates on the mat, on the floor, reformer, reformer Pilates, anti-gravity yoga, anti-gravity fitness, and I run 10, 15K. I walk a lot. Living in London is easy. I don't cycle very often because I'm quite scared of cars. But I do swim regularly, maybe once every uh, couple of weeks. Um, what else? Spin. I do spin as well at the gym. And anything really. Tennis, whatever is available. I quite enjoy doing different things. And I think because I use different sports for different purposes. So for instance, anti-gravity works really well on my back because it decompresses the spine, so it's less pressure on my lower back. Pilates is more about posture, so it's good for core work. And then, it, again, it's about how your body sustains the level of exercise, like, for instance, the knees and stuff. When you run too much, it's, it's quite a lot of pressure on your knees, so trying to eliminate that, that pressure on the knees. And then swimming is good for the back, and it's good for relaxing, because running is quite intense, particularly in the city, it's quite stressful. Yoga is you know, sometimes not all of the instructors are quite into meditate, meditation, but some of them are. In the context of anti-gravity, I think it's a little bit more difficult to do meditation, but a little bit of it. So I do all these things and I do all these things now still. I'm not preparing for a marathon. I've, I've slowed down a lot since last year, but it's just because they make me happy. Like literally anti-gravity makes me so happy. I'd like to have the same motivation, but I find it really hard, especially in winter. Um, so to me, it's not an option. I don't, if I don't exercise, I'm stuck in bed. My life's over again. So it's 
I don't need motivation. I don't need motivation. But also, like, look, not going to lie. There's a physical aspect of things. I'm going to hit. Mm, I, I shouldn't say my age. Really, I don't want to say my age. I'm 25. But anyway, you know, all this exercise also it makes me feel better about myself. It makes me look better. I hope. That's when you say yes. Mm -hmm. It does. That's a, <laughs> that's a big fail. The nodding doesn't translate very well on the podcast. But um, a big, big, big uh, benefit of sports is mental health. So when I get stressed, when I get tired, when I get defeated, because I, I, I do I feel like everyone else, you know, ups and downs. Sports is so helpful. So all of this combined, actually, if I don't exercise for like a few days, I feel really bad. And also if my life is going well, everything's fine. But if my, my life isn't going well, and I'm not going to the gym, then it's really difficult to process the, the, the feelings, negative feelings. And uh, I easily get stuck into negativity. And when I go to exercise, it takes that away, even if it's temporary. Like I'm not saying if you're having a really bad day, you go and exercise during that period of exercise, you're not going to feel bad because of endorphins. And then after the exercise, you're going to feel a little bit better than you did before you started. So I'm not saying it's the answer again for everything. And it's not, it's not a cure for endometriosis. It's not a cure for mental health issues, but to me, it always puts you in a better place than you, when you started. And that's, that's enough. So it sounds like exercise has really helped you to find the right balance. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's because endometriosis robs you of that quality of life, right? It robs you of a lot of opportunities to, you know, work as much as others. Although I still do it, but it's it's a struggle. Like I, I work as much as other people, maybe even more. But you know, it's it's hard on the body. I exercise a lot. It's hard on the body. I can't eat all the foods that I want. It's hard on the body. Um, I you know I have other things, you know, issues and other women with endometriosis can't you know, have fertility issues, they have relationship issues, etc. It's not easy to, to live with. The only thing that I'd say is that I realized after the years and particularly going to the gym is that when you have endometriosis, you don't put things in perspective because you're a victim basically and everything is horrific. But you don't realize that other people also have problems. They also have pains. They also have problems with diets. You put things into context. I go to the gym and everyone's hurting one way or another. You know, I talk to women at the gym and I'm like, and eh. the doesn't feature really high up on my list. I have a shoulder problem. I have a back problem. I have a, a crappy knee. Uh, I have a problem with an ankle. I have asthma, for crying out loud. With all these things. And now it's interesting enough with all these years of training and the, the my outlook has changed. My, you know, endometriosis is a little bit lower down on the list and I put things into context which is to say that you may also have something I don't have you may also have pain one way or another I really enjoy reading about mental health awareness and and how you know mind for instance in January I had this campaign that I did which you know you had to be active every day it's called red January and I really enjoy doing that and it was nothing to do with endometriosis although I you know I jumped on the bandwagon also with it I was kind of like oh you have endo do it um, but it's really important. Like there's a lot of effort invested in raising awareness of mental health and, and sports. So it has a huge amount of benefits on people. But back to my point is that really we need to put things into context as well, which is other people suffer too, um, you know, and, and I try not to victimize myself. And I think it's important. Uh, I have a question that would sound a bit naff. Uh, I took it from the... Uh 
podcasting for dummies book. <laughs> um, but if you were meeting your younger self, like Cecile, age 22, what would you say to her? Mm, that question. Um, I think when you have to give people the ability and the freedom to be who they are and to have a, a path that they go on, right? You, I'm not going to try to tell anyone a lesson and, and et cetera. And I wouldn't tell myself at the age of 22 a lesson. You know, you have to care for your body. You have to do these things. You learn. And some people it's quick. For others, it's very slow. <laughs> for me, I was more on the slow burner. But um, I would say to her, do not have surgery. Do not have repeated surgery. Do not let doctors make decisions on your behalf. Read about the condition. Go and meet women. You know, there, lo there are loads of um, support groups in the UK. We are lucky. Go online. Reach out to people. Read. Educate yourself. Don't automatically assume that a doctor has your best interest at heart. They don't. They're trying to, you know, get you out of their office. And not in a bad way, but they're trying to really address the pain that you're complaining about so you can just go away and they can treat someone else. Um, if you go to a hairdresser, they'll want to cut your hair. If you go to a surgeon, they'll want to operate, right? So if I was to say something to her, obviously one of the things would be like, be kind to yourself because I still haven't really, I'm not there yet, but I'm much kinder to myself than I was. But most importantly, do not have surgery because it's has such a, it's so invasive. It's, it has a huge impact on your body. It has massive consequences. I have problems now as a result of too much surgery. It doesn't solve the problem. To me, it didn't help at all. Sometimes surgery is successful for other women. So I'm not going to rule it out entirely, but it should never be your first port of call. It should be a last resort. Oh, I've tried, you know, swimming, diet, supplements, acupuncture, whatever else, meditation, whatever you can find. I've tried all these things. They're not invasive. They're expensive. That's a thing to consider for sure for women with endometriosis. But at the same time, you have nothing to lose. You're waiting for surgery. If you have like five months, six months to wait for surgery anyway, go out there and do something. Try it. You know, if you can avoid having surgery, I would try anything now. And I didn't know at the time. You know, you, you're a 20-year-old, 22-year-old. You're big enough. You can go out there and seek information. I, in, at the back of my mind, I was like, oh, it's not really there. It doesn't exist. Yeah, and also, you didn't have the diagnosis at the time. Yeah, and also, you know, I was told when I was younger, you know, that it's not really, it's not, it's not a thing. Like, just get on with your life type thing. So it was the back of my mind. But also, I was really, I was really closed down as a person. You know, I wasn't really easy to speak with. I was really sort of introverted, quite... Um, uh, extroverted on the one side introverted on another very difficult for me to interact and be intimate with people in terms of you know the the depth of the conversation and stuff so and and I wouldn't say that to myself it's back to your question I wouldn't say to myself like be a little bit more emotionally aware because it's a process and it took me another you know 12 years to get remotely emotionally aware And it's a long process for me and it could be quicker for other people. But I think the underlying sentiment is like, you know, love your body, even if it's not cooperating sometimes, even if it has all these issues. But I would tell her, you know, don't go overboard with the surgery. And, and I wouldn't even say to myself, like, stop smoking. You have to reach a point where that's what you want to, that's what you want to do. And it's obvious enough that you embrace it. <laughs> 